0: what's shaking fire nation jld here with an audio masterclass on you're either all in or you're not Fire Nation, it's your choice in this life. You're either all in or you're not. And to talk about this topic, I have brought Taylor Greger on the mic. He was a rescue swimmer in the Navy. He sailed the deadliest waters on the planet to try and end veteran suicides. And we'll be talking about veteran suicides and the documentary that resulted from Taylor being all in. As soon as we get back, Fire Nation from thanking our sponsor. Customers want more from brands. Delivering more means owning the customer experience, taking control over data acquisition, analysis, creative, and delivery. Clavio calls this owned marketing and believes it's the best path to growth. For more, visit klaviyo.com slash fire. That's klaviyo.com slash fire. When it comes to hiring, background checks are a must and TransUnion Shareable for Hires enables immediate access to employment screening tools that deliver reports in minutes. Start your on-demand screening at shareable.com fire and use code onfire50 at checkout to save 50% on your first screening. Taylor, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know.
1: All right, Fire Nation, here we go. Taylor Greger. Um, biggest thing people don't know about me is I'm a master seamstress. I'm awesome at making dresses and clothes. Made a whole bunch of dresses for my little sister growing up. So uh, And that translated well into sewing sales whenever they ripped down south, which worked out <laughs> great. <laughs> you know,
0: I think it takes a military man to admit that they're good at making dresses.
1: Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I think... We have this conversation a lot, a lot of, and especially with a lot of guys that go overseas, you know, once you've been over there, like you don't really have an ego anymore. You know what goes <laughs> on? You're not really ashamed of anything. Well, and
0: you've kind of already been like, you kind of proving your manhood or your womanhood in whatever case, you know, if you're a male or a female. So you just like, I don't really have to prove anything to you.
1: Right. There's not a lot to prove when you get back. You can just be you um, unap- <laughs> unapologetically. It's It's great.
0: Well, Fire Nation, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, Taylor, he was a rescue swimmer in the Navy. And that's why when I saw his application come through, you know, despite the fact we get 400 per month, this stuck out to me because, you know, number one, he's a veteran. I love that. I'm a veteran, obviously. And, you know, it's really important for me to highlight these type of things that we're going to be highlighting as we're talking today. And just the overall mentality and philosophy on you're either all in Or you're not. I mean, Fire Nation, you're either all in or you're not. And something that was really cool for me is when we were chatting a little bit in the pre interview talk, uh, Taylor let me know that he used to listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire while he was on the sea. So talk about that a little bit, Taylor.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So the big thing on the sea was, and I think every sailor in the world can relate to this, is, Books and audiobooks are life on the water. That's what keeps you going. So, anytime we were in port, we'd download podcasts and podcasts and podcasts and audiobooks. And uh, one thing I really wanted to do was, you know, put myself through marketing school whenever I was at sea because I wasn't going to school or anything. And I was right. like, might as well. I've got all this time on my hands. So, I, I ended up reading every single marketing paper, case study, anything, especially with the Harvard business class. And then anything I'd get my hands on, I'd read it and listen to it. And your podcasts were one of them. I, you know, downloaded every single one I could. And when we're at sea, especially on the night watches would be sitting out there under the stars and, you know, 20, 30 foot waves crashing over the boat. And I'd be Unreal. listening to your podcast. Me saying,
0: are you prepared to ignite? Oh man. See, and that's what I love, Fire Nation. So if you're listening to us right now and you're someplace cool, maybe you're hiking Kilimanjaro, maybe you're on the seas, maybe you're doing any of a number of things on a chairlift, skiing or whatever. Uh, take a picture or just send me an email. Do whatever you want. Post on social media, tag me on Instagram. I love seeing where you are listening to entrepreneurs on fire. So let's talk about your early life, real quick, about before the military.
1: Yeah, before the military, um, I think it started out like a lot of guys that I served with. You know, there wasn't a lot of places to go, a lot of things to do. And it was like you didn't really have a whole lot of doors. And, you know, I was sitting there one day, I had like a, a bottle of mustard in my fridge and that's all I owned in the world. I had that and my dog and I was like, well, I got to do something to change this <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people that listen to this can relate to that. You know, you get you just get to a point where you're like, either I'm going to dig myself out of this hole or I'm going to st- keep on living in the darkness. And then you make that conscious decision to do something about it. And joining the military was that stepping stone, you know, to uh, do something with your life. And and I'm from Texas, so being a Patriots, you know, big deal. And Totally. Yeah, I wanted to serve the country. And I mean, that decision was pretty easy. I didn't, I mean that's where that decision was. I didn't really think I was pretty young at the time. Didn't really think too far ahead of like what the toll it would take on my body and my mind when I got out, um, which is what we're working on now.
0: And that's so important. Uh, I went through the same process when I got out, you know, after a 13 month tour of duty in Iraq, I can just remember so clearly being back, like thinking I had quote unquote, maybe dodged the PTSD bullets, but then for like the next six months, just like waking up covered in sweat. I'm not just talking like sweating. I'm like my whole bed was so sopping. What I had to change the sheets every single night, I had to take a shower. I mean, it was like a non stop thing. And like now, after you know, I, I saw some people and have some conversations, like I know that that was just like all this adrenaline and stress and anxiety that was like releasing itself, you know, while I was sleeping and all these other things that were going on. But this is so real, Fire Nation. So if you have a loved one who's been through something, you know, like a war or just a traumatic experience, and they're likely dealing with PTSD, like there's some real issues there. And we're going to be talking about things like the veteran suicide rates. But guess guess what? It doesn't just apply to veterans. It applies to human beings in general. We live in a very difficult world. And this is the thing that we, myself and Taylor, want to kind of chat about today. And Taylor, you kind of had this idea about an expedition. So kind of give us the the background behind the expedition. Why did it start and you know, why details like Cape Horn and all that stuff.
1: Right. Oh, you hit it right on the head, man. And then that's that's what a lot of guys go through whenever they get back to the States. And I don't know about what your process when, when you got out in the army, whenever I got out in the Navy, not one single person uh now processing system talked about what your body would go through when you got back. And that was a big deal for me because when I got back, I, I went through the same thing, you know, my body was sweating for no reason at all. Just like you said, you know, my girlfriend at the time, you know, would wake up and I'd just be covered in sweat for no reason. And then, uh, there was those alone times whenever you're sitting at a couch and after your body's been running on that adrenaline for so many years, it depends on it. And, uh, there's a lot of studies out there that have shown when your body runs on that amount of stress for so many years, on a physiological level, your brain changes. It depends on that adrenaline being dumped in your body. And whenever it doesn't get that all the time, your body just starts releasing it for no reason at all. And so I'd be sitting on the couch, not doing anything. Nobody's at home. And my body would just start running away from me, you know? And uh, that was scary as hell, especially if nobody told you that was going to happen to your body when you got out. So that's where the problem started. And I knew my buddy wrote a book and he did interviews all over the world with veterans returning back from Iraq and Afghanistan more for both from the UK and the U S and I'd call him and I'd be like, Hey man, like, is this normal? Are you seeing anybody else going through this? You know? And, uh, because there's that mentality, you know, you don't want to be the guy that can't handle it when you get out. And and that's where I was. I was like, I didn't ever think it'd affect me. I didn't think it was a big deal. And I, and I was like, nah, that's not going to be me when I get out. And then it was. And so I'd call him and he was like, dude, you're not alone. You know? All these guys I've interviewed are saying the exact same thing. And I mean, that blew my mind because why didn't I know about this? Why did I know that I was the only one doing this? And boom, there's the problem. It's like, okay, well, now we're going to do something about it. And then it graduated into, well, how can we reach people today? What is the best way to reach people in this environment today? And that goes into social media and film. So we decided to, to film film. Something epic we didn't know what yet, and uh, I always wanted to sail the world, so I was like, well, I think the greatest thing to conquer in the world today is Cape Horn. Um, Cape Horn is the deadliest waters in the world, hands down for centuries, and uh, we talked about Mount Everest, but it was like, you know, four thousand people have gone to Mount Everest, and you could pay somebody sixty thousand dollars to carry your stuff to the top of the mountain. you know there's that's not going to grab a whole lot of attention. so what's the next big thing? And you know it just kept coming back to Cape Horn and uh that's where we made that decision was we were going to sail to cape horn and you know we didn't have a dime to our name or anything at all but we were going to make it happen and i found i ended up finding this like shell of a fiberglass sailboat and completely rebuilding it <laughs> for the next six months from the ground up you know new engines sails, mast, rigging everything and uh we did it we set sail and then we you know went right into three hurricanes and two tropical storms after that. (laughs) That That's a big wake-up call.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to talk about this biggest storm in a second here, but I mean, before we do, let's just kind of tie up a little bit of a bow because you talked about this out-processing in the military in general, and you didn't really have much support or really any kind of information going out. I didn't either. And, you know, it's, it's a really unfortunate situation. And the reality is this, is that the military, it's great at what it's great at, you know, prepping for war, training men and women to fight, um, you know, conquering the enemies, all of these different things. Like that's what the military is great at. And I saw that firsthand, you know, being a tank commander in Iraq, like I saw what our military is great at and why we are the best military in the world, you know, at this current moment in time. But what are we not great at is seeing through the end of the people who spent the time in war and having that adrenaline you mentioned, seeing them through to a healthy mental state, which of course, you know, is a long and detailed and very ever changing process. So just wanted to get that out there. And this is, you know, why people like myself and Taylor are looking to kind of bring this out to the world to hopefully help future military veterans that are going to be going through these similar things, future soldiers and whatever it might Be and also just kind of letting people know that you know there's situations in your life when you have a super traumatic scenario. You know what, where you like survived a house fire or an armed robbery, or there's just a lot of things that can happen in this world that could put you in a similar situation that myself and Taylor were in mentally, emotionally, etc. On all that stuff. So let's kind of now fast forward because you figured out that you wanted to kind of make this big statement to kind of really bring uh, the world's eyes to veterans and the struggles that we go through and the suicide rate being so high in the States, etc., which we will talk more about in a little bit. So, you know, you decided right. Cape Horn being the most dangerous waters in the world. Right. And it's crazy. If you read some of these older books, which I love, these historical nonfiction and fiction books about the old, the age of sail, those old wooden ships trying to round Cape, uh, Cape Horn, they just couldn't do it. It would take them months and months and months. And by the way some of them would have to turn around and go the other way. And what is the other yeah. way? Like 30,000 miles like around the world the other way to avoid Cape Horn. So talk about that and about the biggest storm story that you have.
1: Yeah, Cape Horn, it's where uh, the South Pacific and South Atlantic currents meet. So it creates massive waves. I mean, you're looking at 100-foot seas is average out there. And right before we left to go down there, we were talking to some people that just rounded Cape Horn, and they were like, you know, there's not really any GPS down there, or any weather prediction services, because we were looking at weather predicting services, and they were calling for 40 foot seas and about 60 knots of wind. Well, they talked to the Chilean Armada on the, that are stationed at the lighthouse on Cape Horn, and they were looking at 120 knots of wind and 110 foot seas. What? So, yeah, there's no way to to know what you're getting into until you get down there, and. All the old tactics of like looking at the the clouds and reading the seas <laughs> and stuff. When you get down there, go out the window because the weather changes on a very fast scale. Like every 15 minutes, you're looking at a different system rolling in. And people were messaging me like, you got this system rolling in, you know, in 10 hours. I was like, I need to know what's happening in 10 minutes. Right. For real, <laughs> because it moves so fast down there. Super, um, super crazy. We were uh, right outside the Magellan Strait was when there were the first, you know, southern storm hit us. And it came on with a vengeance it just started building and building and building. You know, we were looking at 50 knots on the low end whenever it started building up. And then the sea started picking up to about 40 feet. And that's whenever, you know, you have the gut check where you have to talk with the crew and you're like, guys, you know, is this worth it? You know, are we going to keep going. Are we going to do this? Are we going to anchor? And, uh, You know, this is, it's personal for everybody on our boat because each one of us have lost a significant amount of people to suicide back in the States, like all our, all our best buddies, you know? I think a lot of people can't understand that. Like, why would you ever put yourself through that? Why would you ever go through those seas when you know you could die? And it's like, well, first of all, I almost died myself. You know, I was almost one of those guys that, that tried to commit suicide when they came back to the States. And then imagine spending the next, you know, six years of your life where every single one of your best friends is killing themselves like what, what kind of world is that that you live in? So it makes the decision pretty easy. Like, do you want to do this? Yeah. Cause it's worth it. Like if we can save one of our friends that are coming back from overseas and it, it, it's worth it. Absolutely. So we had that real conversation. It was like, yeah, we're going to continue on. Well, the season ended up getting to about 70 feet and, uh, it was about whenever they're about 60 feet, we were looking at each other like, all right, man, I don't know if we're gonna do this, you know, mm. started praying and, uh, we got hit by this one huge rogue wave. There's a storm that was brewing South Cape Horn. It was about 300 miles south of us, and it was sending waves up up where we were. And uh, one of those was that 70 foot rogue wave, and completely took us on a broadside and and you know put the mast in the water. We started taking taking on water. And, and it's in those moments, you know, whenever you can just look at everybody in the crew and, and you're like, now nah, mm-hmm. we're going to keep fighting. We're still fighting, you know.
0: And just real quick, what's the water temperature?
1: Oh, we're in the middle of icebergs. There's, there's ice all around us. It's freezing, you know. So when you're submerged in that kind of water, like being a rescue swimmer, I knew how long we had to live. We had six minutes easily. You know, you had six minutes. We didn't have dry suits on or anything. We had, you know, our cold weather gear, but the storm came on so fast, we didn't have time to, to put any dry suits on. That's a process. So I'm like, well, we got six minutes to get this boat back up and emptied water and start, start getting our body temperature back where it needs to be. And uh, that's what we did. You know, we're about way steep of water in the boat and uh, on our side, you know, sinking and I'm praying. And we got hit by this one wave that came out of nowhere and flipped the boat back up. And we just started bailing out water. And we ended up living. We ended up surviving, which is one of those moments where we should not have. It's, it still blows my mind to this day. Somebody's looking out for us.
0: Fire sure. Nation, I've got shivers going down my spine just thinking about that. I mean, like <laughs> I I get cold going in this Caribbean water right here, which I don't even know what the exact temperature is, but I think it's in like the sixties or seventies. So and that's Fahrenheit. So I can't even imagine what it would be like in that time frame in in down by Cape Horn. So I hope that this story is making you stop and think like it was meant to because we have a lot more that we're going to be talking about when we get back from thanking our sponsor. As a small business, making great hires is critical to your success. And when it comes to hiring, background checks are a must-have. Unlike big companies with big HR departments, small businesses may not have the resources to manage background checks or easily access screening tools. But now there is TransUnion Shareable for Hires, an online employment screening service built specifically to help small businesses quickly screen applicants with reliable data from a trusted source. With traditional screening services, you might weigh days or even weeks to get results but with shareable for hires you'll get immediate access to powerful employment screening tools that enable you to fast track your hiring process so that you can get back to business within minutes you'll receive reports from TransUnion containing critical information about an applicant's credit history and criminal backgrounds. the reports you receive are compliant with state and federal consumer reporting laws it's free to sign up no hidden fees and reports start as low as $35 start your on-demand screening at shareable.com slash fire and use code onfire50 at checkout to save 50% on your first screening. TransUnion Shareable for Hires, helping small businesses make big decisions. Do you want to be successful as the most recognizable direct-to-consumer brands? Of course you do. Do you ever wonder how disruptive brands became so successful? The answer is they took control of their growth in the experiences they deliver to their customers. Customers are tired of poor, predictable marketing. What they really want? Authentic experiences, value, and trust. Your brand is too valuable to damage without data targeting and one-size-fits-all messaging. To deliver memorable marketing, you need to control as much of the customer experience Experiences possible. Only then can you build authentic personalized experiences that show you understand your customers and their preferences. From the first impression to the 19th purchase, Clavio empowers you to own your growth in the experiences you deliver. It's time to take control of the data customers choose to share with you, the analysis and insights the data creates, and the creative that data influences. Only then can you deliver experiences worthy of your customers and their dollars. To learn more about how Clavio helps you own your growth, visit Clavio.com slash fire. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash fire. So Taylor, we're back, and you did mention that you really didn't have a lot of money to go into this event uh, venture from your own pocket, so you were able to fund the expedition. How does one go about funding an expedition like this? Because I think it would be really helpful for Fire Nation to learn, you know, what is it that you're passionate about, Fire Nation? Like, what is it that you want to bring awareness or aid to in this world? How do you do it, Taylor?
1: I love that, and that's something I love talking about. Um, doing all these talks and stuff and, and meeting all these different people, you can see it in a person's eyes whenever they have that thing they really care about in this world, and there's nothing that's that's going to get in their way to stop them. And, I mean, they find a way to do it, and that's exactly what we did. It was like, we didn't have any money, but we found a way. And I think the epitome of that story was we found ourselves in the Panama Canal. And, you know, we're there with a whole bunch of boats, you know, million-dollar boats, $600,000 boats, going through the Panama Canal, And they're laughing at us as we roll up because we just use sails and uh, the boat's all beat up and ragged and sails are torn. And this marina is just laughing when we pull in. And they're like, you guys don't even have any chain on your boat. And chain's a big deal, especially when you're trying to anchor in big, heavy seas. We're like, well, no. Well, it just so happened that afternoon we saw somebody throwing away like 60 feet of chain. So Stephen and I were dumpster diving for chain in Panama. And all these all these people were at the bar just laughing at us. And we're like, you know, you got to do whatever you have to do to make it happen. <laughs> and that translates into a lot of like what we're doing today and what we're pursuing today. It's like, you don't, you just don't let your ego get into the way, you know? Like if you want something in this world, you're going to do it. Even if that means going through a dumpster to make it happen. It, and nobody can get in your way. It doesn't matter who laughs at you or tells you no. Like whatever, you know, just do what you want to do in this world and make it happen. There's a way to do it. There's always a way. As long as you just keep pushing forward. You stay consistent, keep hammering at it every single day. It's going to happen for sure.
0: What was one thing that you did that you really felt helped the funding process of your overall expedition?
1: Cold emails, man, cold emails. I think we're up to like 600 cold emails. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, just getting the word out, asking, you know, reaching a handout, asking for help. Like, we're doing this. Do you think there's anything you can do for us? Do you, I mean, can we work together? You know, can we work for you? I mean, right now I'm running charters for other people's boats just to keep Skeleth Crew sailing going, you know, like just just putting the word out there and talking to people. People, you know, I think people get intimidated in what position somebody's done or what somebody's done in the world, but you got to remember everybody's just somebody just like you are, you know, so just having a conversation with them, tell them what's going on and seeing if you guys can work together. I think a lot of people get scared of of asking for help and especially in the military when you get out, you know, it goes back to that, it's like, It's all right to ask for help, man. I think that's the best thing I did for my life was saying, I have a problem. Do you know any better way to go about this? Because, you know, nine times out of 10, you don't know. So somebody else might as well reach out and ask him if they can help you. And then it makes it that much easier. Just sucking up that ego and asking for help really goes a long way.
0: Fire Nation really believing in your cause and knowing what you're doing. I mean, Taylor's not asking you know, for money so that he can go buy a Ferrari. Like He's asking to fund an expedition so that he can bring awareness to veteran suicide. So you just need to make the ask. You need to put in the wraps, these cold emails, because you never know what that other person's frame of mind is when you reach out to them. They might have just lost somebody through a suicide or through a, a veteran suicide. They might you know, have somebody that they really care about, you know, who's going through a tough time right now and, or they might know somebody, they might not be in a, in a situation or in a place to help right now, but they might be able to connect you to somebody. You've got to put in the reps. You've got to put in the work. You've got to put out as many fields as possible because you never know. And then by the way, it's all about timing. So after you've gone through a thousand of those cold emails and it's been a month or two. Start back at the first one. Be like, hey, I just wanted to check back in to see if anything's changed. Because guess what? Something may have changed. So put in the reps and just go from a place of service. Start from a place of service, go to a place of service. Now let's talk about the documentary that you created and the whole process behind that.
1: Yeah, no doubt. That's it's cool you brought up the timing thing because that's exactly how it worked. You know, um, we knew it was going to happen. We knew we wanted to film, so that's what we set out to do. You know, Steve and I aren't filmmakers. I, mean, I, I think we are now because we've had years of doing it. <laughs> but um, When we started out, we were like, well, let's just film everything. You know, let's film everything we're going through. Let's make it raw and real because. I mean, every sailing channel out there now is just about sailing the Caribbean or sailing the trade winds. And, you know, you've got girls in bikinis and dudes sailing catamarans, you know, it's super chill. But nobody was showing really like how raw it could be, how, how real it is, you know, the struggles and the stuff that breaks and how you can do it without spending any money at all. You know, you can get into the sailing community without spending a dime. You don't have to. Everybody thinks that you have to have a whole lot of money to have a boat, but that's not real. You just have to work hard. So we, we decided to document it. All, all of it. And we did that the entire expedition. You know, um, there's a lot of days we didn't want to film, especially when we were freezing, you know, I had ice frozen in my beard. Uh, and I was like, dude, I'm cold. i want to stay below deck. And we were just <laughs> like, we have to document this or it'll be for nothing. <laughs> so there was the winter last year, we were in Valdivia, and it just got so cold. And there's so many icebergs and it got super dangerous. And the boat caught on fire, man. It was one of those things you probably know from the military, the Swiss cheese effect whenever it's not one huge thing, it's a whole bunch of little small things that start going wrong before a major mishap happens. Big time. Yeah, that's exactly what happened, man. Um, and then the one that broke the back was whenever the boat caught on fire. We had this massive engine fire and, um, you know, Stephen was sleeping and I was above deck and, and John had just gotten off watch and, you know, smoke started billowing up and it was, I mean, still scary to this day because Stephen's cabin was full of smoke. I didn't, you know, I thought he was passed out. I thought I was going to have to carry him up. He ended up waking up and getting out. And we ended up getting the fire under control after a little bit of time, shutting everything off and working with a fire extinguisher, which sucks below deck because if you blow a fire extinguisher below deck, you can't breathe.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: It's terrible. So we fought the fire and we ended up sailing another 400 nautical miles to, um, to Chile, to the coast of Chile. And that's when we were like, well, we got to go back home. But whenever, and we all wanted to give up. We all wanted to quit. We all thought that that was the end. You know, our boat was sinking and on fire, and we had no way to keep going. And and then we got an email because we, you know, we don't have service for months at a time. When we got to shore, we we get up, upload all all these emails and stuff. And you know, we got an email another one of my good buddies that I was overseas with ended up killing himself. And I told the guys that, and there were no words. You know, we were going to go back and we were going to find a way to keep this going. And it was one of those godsend things, man. We got back to the States and and we hit the ground running with trying to find somebody to help us film, help help us get the word out. And we ended up getting a hold of Fresh Five Films in Philadelphia. And they were, they, I mean, man, it was awesome. Like they believe in what we're doing. And it was one of those things that I've heard you talk about it. And it's, it's working with people that actually believe and are on the same page as you that grind as hard as you do, which is cool. Cause we messed that up a lot. Like we would try and work with people to help us. And they just didn't get the message, didn't get what we were trying to do. And then we found this production company, and they're like, yeah, hell yeah. You know, We're going to tell this story. You know, We're going to make this awesome. We're going to make it a story that will reach people on an emotional level so they understand. And uh, that's when we started working with them. And that was two months we were back in the States, and then we went back down to the boat during their version of the summertime, which isn't really a summertime. It's still cold as hell down there. And kept filming and kept going, and they ended up meeting us down in Puerto Williams in Chile, right after we rounded Cape Horn to, you know, get a feel of all the penguins around and all the icebergs. I mean, we were sailing in waters that nobody's filmed before. We we're in uncharted waters; literally, wow. the GPS is black because there's no you can't you can't look at any land on there. So, I mean, that was a really cool experience to to make all that happen and start working with a production company that we found, and it was just like I said, we didn't really. We didn't really find them. It was one of those cold call things. We were just talking to people and, and asking who who would be interested in this. And and they jumped on board when they heard the story.
0: So I'm a big goal guy. I mean, that's why I created the Freedom Journal, your number one goal accomplished in 100 days. And I feel like if you, Fire Nation, are going to have a big desire to accomplish something meaningful, you need a goal and a real clear set goal. So tell her, what was your overall goal for this documentary?
1: Yeah, the goal is to create a bridge between you know, veterans coming back to the States and the civilian society because, and creating empathy. Because a lot of people don't understand what it's like to have to live here at a slower pace and your body's just trying to keep running at that fast pace. And that, I think that's part of the problem. So once you build a community that understands like what this person's going through when they come back to the States and people understand what's going on, then there's not that much of a problem. I think right now a lot of people don't don't get it. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, a veterans killing themselves, or oh, you know, that veteran's dealing with PTSD. But I mean, why? You know, like what's going, what's actually going on? And when people get it, and then when veterans understand what's going to happen in their body when they get back, I think we'll be able to answer a lot of questions. I think it'll solve a lot of like, um, you know, the alcohol problem and homelessness and veterans as well, because you don't know what to do. And I was there. I was in a bottle every single day just because I didn't understand. I was just trying to get out of my head. And once we explain what's going on, uh, it'll solve a whole lot of problems. And that's the goal. That's the goal is just to tell people this is the problem and then present the solution because there is a solution and other countries are already doing it. You know, this, the States is heavily focused on treating PTSD, but not preventing PTSD. You know? The UK, their programs over there are you know tenfold ahead of us. Whenever they get back from Iraq and Afghanistan, you're going to love this is a third of their unit is required by their version of the UCMJ to go on an expedition for 3 weeks whether it's sailing, hiking, kayaking. So you get back from a deployment and you are required by their version of their military law to go on some sort of expedition to decompress, to get wow. your body back at the pace you need it to be to operate in this environment. In our states, we don't do anything like that.
0: They just throw you right back into Walmart. I mean, I remember getting back and like a, an hour later I was like walking through Walmart like to shop for some stuff and just like I can't be here. Like, this is just, this is not the real world as I know it.
1: Oh, it's weird, man. It's, it's, it's super weird. You need that time to to get back into it. Your body needs time to adjust to what it went through overseas. And we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to bring what the other countries are doing right to our country. You know, it's not hard to do. We just have to start doing it. That's how simple it is.
0: Well, let's start talking about some brass tacks, like the veteran suicide rate in the States. Like, what numbers are you able to share? Like, what do you know? Like, what are you seeing as a trend right now? Like, break that down for us.
1: I I just got back to land, you know, a day ago. And right before I left, well, six hours ago, right before I left, you know, a veteran killed himself in the Austin VA, right Mm -hmm. in front of everybody. I mean, this is happening in, in backyards, you know, and then a week before, in Georgia to kill themselves in the VA there, you know, and they're not trying to make a statement. They're not trying to do anything. I know exactly what they're going through. There's nothing. There's no other way to turn. You know, you see the darkest things in this world every single day. It doesn't leave your body. You don't stop seeing these things that you saw overseas. And you don't want to live like that anymore, man. You, you just live every day in so much pain. You don't know where else to turn. And uh, I think I think suicide is a touchy subject for a lot of people because I've heard people call it um, selfish. You know, I've heard that word quite a bit. And it's like I just I can't imagine somebody I loved living in that much pain every single day. i don't I don't think it's selfish at all. I think they're just in pain. I think I think we're we're hurting, you know? Um, it hurts every single day. And I mean, that's a very real thing. So the numbers are real. People don't understand that. Imagine like like for you guys to play football, imagine every single person on your football team tomorrow started killing themselves. That's how it works. That's a very real thing. Every single one of my best friends is killing themselves. So um. Right now, the numbers are a little over 20 a day. You know, everybody hears the 22 a day because that's the average. And on top of that, every single person that kills themselves, there's a study done. I was working with Mission 22 about it. It just came out in the news. So one veteran commits suicide affects 135 people directly. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so how many people in that state is that affecting on a daily basis? You know, it's a huge, huge problem that we can start changing today. You know, and I think it's starting to gain a little bit of traction today, but. I mean, there's simple things we can start doing to fix this. It's a, that's hundreds of thousands of people a year that are, are hurting and in pain. And I think it's, it's a detriment to the states. You know, we're not operating like we could be if, if we took care of our people whenever they get home. Imagine the assets veterans hold whenever they come back to the states. You know, if you gave them the tools they need and told them what was going to happen and then said, you know, now you're back. Enjoy it. Help us make this country awesome. I mean, I think there's, there's a whole range of potential there.
0: This is powerful stuff, Fire Nation. I mean, this is the kind of information that needs to get out. And that's why I'm so glad that people like Taylor are coming out and speaking out about it, creating documentaries, just getting the word out. Because now there's so many of you that are sitting there that are going to have that number now in your head. 22 veterans a day are committing suicide, and 135 people are being affected by every single one of those 22 suicides every single day. I mean, start thinking about those numbers, and it's just, it really is something that could push you into action. So speaking of that, Taylor, like, What is your call to action? Like, what do you want our listeners to move forward in if they are really feeling compelled by this cause?
1: Well, if you want to know more about it, for sure, you can head to the Heller High Seas website. That's where we've got the trailer for the documentary coming out. And, you know, we dive in depth on what the body goes through, Um, you know, showing me at my worst moments. And uh, I think it's really good. And a lot of people will will understand what it's like to live with it. And then after that, you know, it it doesn't end there. You know, we're, I think policy change is a big one. you know? people are scared to talk about it, but that's what needs to happen. There needs to be funding in the states that that funds these programs to let veterans decompress when they get back. That's the next step for me. That's the the next biggest thing. And until that happens, we're going to keep on running expeditions for veterans and find a way to fund these. you know, uh, relying on donations, you know is is pretty hard to do, especially in the position we're in where it's not that big a deal in the states yet. So, I mean, we're doing other things, starting other businesses. Like, I just started Cape Horn Tequila. We're going to start selling tequila to raise money to sail veterans around, you know. We'll use any money we, we make off of sailing this these, this awesome tequila bottle to fund expeditions for veterans when they get back. You know, they don't pay a dime or anything. It's just like, dude, come out on the boat. I'm there. I'm where you're at, and I don't want you to end up where I almost was, you know. Um and that's what it comes down to. So if you want to get involved, you know, you can head over to the to the website, look at what we're doing and what veterans go through when they get back. And then especially if you're a veteran, man, if you're looking for an expedition or something to do or somebody to talk to, you call anytime for sure. I'll tell you, you know, you're not the only one feeling like that.
0: And so is that website hellorhighseas.com? That's right. Hellorhighseas.com. And what if somebody wanted to connect with you directly? Is there a contact form? Or is there a better way to do it?
1: I mean, any of our social media platforms under Skeleton Cruise Sailing or HellerHighseas.com, I'm on it all the time. I'm talking to guys. I mean, I think that's the coolest thing about social media and this today is these platforms we can reach people on. You know, I'm talking to guys from Australia and the UK that are like, I just got back from overseas. Oh, yeah. and, and they're like, I'm going through exactly what you are to do. And Australia is not doing anything like the UK is yet either. So I'm um, talking with a lot of those guys, you know, like you're not alone. This is what's going to happen to your body. This is how you can fix it. I mean, and I really think it's just getting outside and and appreciating this world again instead of living in your head and living in the darkness that you just returned from. But getting out there and seeing how beautiful this place is and really appreciating it and just appreciating being alive like you're living in this moment. You've lived to see this time here. So I think, uh, yeah, reaching out on social media, I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you. What you're going to go through and and what you can do about it. And what helped me, at least,
0: Fire Nation. If you're not a veteran, but you know somebody who served and you know somebody who's been overseas or spent time in a in a theater of war or anything along those lines, then this is an episode you really want them to listen to. Because just like Taylor shared his stories, I mean, I went through so many similar things he talked about. And you know, one thing, you know, I enrolled a year and a half into law school after I got out of the military. And still a year and a half later, I remember sitting in that classroom. I was a, like a really good college student. Like I was attentive. I could focus. And I was sitting in these law school classes. I could not focus on anything. And I, and, and I didn't know what was going on because I wasn't really tying it honestly back to my military experience because I didn't really think that I had had, had had it that rough and was dealing with major PTSD. Like, so I I was so lost and kind of confused at that moment in my life. But if I had just been able to be aware that hey this is something you can expect because then you don't get over stress and and have this amazing amount of anxiety saying what's wrong with me it's just like no like this is what happens as part of the process just relax and this is what you do to get through it these are who you surround yourself with and it's just knowing that you know you're not there alone that's the biggest thing so Taylor, thanks for rocking the mic today, brother. And Fire Nation, if you head over to eofire.com and just type Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, in the search bar, his show notes page will pop up with everything that we talked about today Um, and links to everything that we talked about. Again, the URL is hellorhighseas.com. Head over there, reach out to them via social media, Hell or High Seas, Skeleton Crew, all that jazz. You can find them. Um, through the show notes page of this we- of this podcast or directly on their website hellorhighseas.com. So reach out share this podcast. If you're so moved, support what they have going on with the tequila with the documentary and all that jazz. Taylor, thanks for coming on and being open and honest and sharing what you're sharing today with Fire Nation For that we salute you and we will catch you on the flip side.
1: Thanks man it's been it's been a true honor being on the show Thank you.
0: Hey, Fire Nation, today's value bombs were brought to you by Taylor. And I hope you've had your big idea. But if you haven't, guess what? In 60 minutes, I can get you there. Visit yourbigidea.io. It's a free training. And I'm going to get you to your big idea in less than an hour. And guess what? Once you're there, the sky's the limit. I'll see you there, Fire Nation, or I'll catch you on the flip side. When it comes to hiring, background checks are a must and TransUnion Shareable for Hires enables immediate access to employment screening tools that deliver reports in minutes. Start your on-demand screening at shareable.com slash fire and use code ONFIRE50 at checkout to save 50% on your first screening. Customers want more from brands. Delivering more means owning the customer experience, taking control over data acquisition, analysis, creative, and delivery. Clavio calls this owned marketing and believes it's the best path to growth. For more, visit klaviyo.com slash fire. That's klaviyo.com slash fire.